I wonder what I would have if I didn't know what everybody else had. I wonder what I would want if I didn't know what everybody else had. I wonder how much more money I would have saved if I wasn't aware of all the things that I w- that you spent your money on. I wonder how much more that I would have been that I would have given away to people who had less than I had if I, you know, um, thought about it. I think the problem is is that I know too much. I know too much about what you have. I know too much about what you have that I don't have, right? Uh, And this knowledge makes us all dangerously discontent. We compare ourselves all the time. It lures us towards the edge of financial bondage and ruin because you see every time somebody buys something new. You see every time somebody gets the newest, nicest thing. You see every time that your friend gets a bigger house or gets a nicer car or gets a better job or gets a new watch, or gets the newest iPhone, or gets seven different versions of an iPad, right? You you know it, and you see it, and it leads us, and it baits us towards the edge of financial bondage and ruin. It feeds and it grows an appetite that will never and is never fully and finally satiated. We're in a series right now titled Guardrails, where we're learning about the importance of placing guardrails in certain points in certain places In our life. And remember, guardrails are a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off limit areas, right? They are not placed in the danger zone. They're actually placed inside of the safety zone. We know that because nobody argues that. Nobody argues that you should place a guardrail not on the bridge, but in the water. Nobody says that. Nobody thinks like, oh, you should place the guardrail not on the road, but instead put the guardrail in the ditch. That way you go into the ditch to hit the guardrail. That doesn't make any sense either, right? Um, And guardrails are designed to minimize damage. Remember what we talked about last couple weeks, that when you hit a guardrail, it's minimal damage done. Everybody's okay. We're still fine. We're operating in a good space, right? Uh, but it, if you miss it, you go over, it's, it's dangerous. And, and guardrails should be a standard of behavior that become a matter of conscience. So they're a standard of behavior that we've set into motion that we want to have as part of our life. And the point of a guardrail is to light up our conscience and just give us a warning. When you bump into that guardrail, you recognize, hey, I'm close to the edge. I got to get back on track. got to get back on the path. And today, we're going to talk about financial guardrails, right? And many of the challenges that people struggle with are related to sex or money, which is why we talked about sex last week and putting guardrails in. Um, And these are two areas where the New Testament teaching teaching is mostly regarded and disregarded in the church. I mean, let's be honest. It kind of throws it away. And culture will tell you that church is against sex and church wants your money, which we talked last week. The church is not against sex. God created sex. So the church is not against sex. It's actually not against sex at all. In fact, the church is totally for sex. We want the kids' ministry to be filled up. We want every, we want all that stuff. But we want it to be done, and the church believes that it should be done inside of a, a protected place that God has created in the intimacy of a relationship between one man and one woman. That is the intimacy of marriage. That's what we believe. That's what the church believes. So we don't believe that sex is bad or anything against sex. The church also doesn't want your money. Okay, a lot of people think, like, I'm not going to give to the church because the church wants our money, right? And, And again, I understand because you've 
seen. You've seen these televangelists. You've seen big church. You've seen celebrity pastors. You've seen all that stuff. And in American culture, some people are okay with it. Some people are not. Maybe you're uneasy about it. You've seen that. You've experienced it. So I am not discrediting your experiences or what you've seen or what you've experienced. I'm not discrediting it at all. And I bet, and in fact, if you were to talk about why you're so frustrated about the church as it relates to finances and money, you would have an excellent, excellent point. Okay, But that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm not here to talk about that at all. God created sex, and he doesn't need your money. By financial guardrails, I'm not talking about avoiding bankruptcy or credit card debt. And I'm not talking about giving all your money to the church so that the church could get bigger. Bigger Financial guardrails are something totally and completely different. In fact, New Testament financial guardrails are designed around one thing, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Because the truth is, you can be completely out of debt with money in the bank and driven off the edge financially. You just can't. You can have, all, you can have no debt, money in the bank, and still get stuck into a ditch. That's why Jesus explained it best when he said, no one can serve two masters. Jesus says, it's impossible to be owned by two people, to which you would respond and I would respond, wait, I don't have any masters. That's silly. But Jesus is shrewd. He's smart. And he baits us into this idea to which we all kind of nonchalantly go, okay, I think I kind of understand what you're saying. No one can serve to masters. You will either hate the one or love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, for the followers of Jesus, the primary issue regarding money is mastery. So if you're a Jesus follower, this is a big deal, okay? If you're not a Jesus follower, this is just something I think you should do. I think it's a great practice. I think it's so very important to, to us and the way we behave and you know what would be the right way to kind of handle our money and how, better, how much better the world would be. Um, but the truth is, as a Jesus follower, the main issue is mastery because he knows. He knows that the chief competitor for your heart, and I've told you this many times, is actually nothing else in this world but in your wallet. It is the chief competitor of your heart is the little bits of plastic that sit in your wallet. The chief competitor for your heart is the greenbacks that you have in your wallet. That's the chief competitor for your heart. And God knows that and Jesus knows that. So the ultimate question Jesus says when he unpacks this section, and now this again, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, which we just spent, you know, forever talking about the Beatitudes. And now here we are, the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is drawing everybody's attention in saying, hey, hey, this is really important. So important. The ultimate question is, do we have money or does money have us? Like, do we have money or does money own us? And the reason Jesus' followers need guardrails financially is that money and what money promises, what money and what money is and what money promises are a chief competitor for mastery of our hearts. And God does not want something from you. You've heard me say this before. He wants something for you. And without guardrails, without guardrails, we veer off the cliff of consumption or into the wall of hoarding. I mean, that's just what it is. If we don't have guardrails, we fly off into the we fly off the cliff of consumption, or we run into the wall of hoarding. Right? We just do. 
It's it's an uh, but either one doesn't matter which one you're um doesn't matter which one you do whether uh, if it's uh if it's consumption it is an unbridled desire for something got to have the next thing got to have the next thing got to have the next thing or if you're hoarding then it's just an unbridled fear but the same root exists for both and the root is greed and and the greed is simply defined as the belief that it's all for me that's that's the that is the great veil or the great shroud that culture has placed around money is that hey it's okay it's all for you you spend it you do whatever you want with it it's not a big deal nobody's going to get hurt you do you boo boo spend all your money it's all for you no problem and if we fall into this habits Christians if we fall into the habits of overspending or hoarding suspending so all of our money or keeping it all for ourselves we're living as if there's no God. Or we're inter- living as if we're not interested until there's trouble. Then we pray, and here's what we're going to tell God to do. You know, God do this, God do this, God do this, God do this. But then when things get really bad, God's going to look at you and go, Hey, I think you you chose the wrong master because you've been mastered by money. And Jesus told you you can't be servant of you can't serve two masters. And if you spend your whole life mastered by money. What happens when you come crawling to God and begging Him for help? He might just look at you and say, you've got the wrong master. You've chosen the wrong master. So again, if you want to be mastered by money, and this is how most of the world lives today, you live first, you save second, and if you have anything left over, you give. Right? You give anything extra you have left over away. Right? But first, if you want to be mastered by money, You live first, right? You live on whatever you want, buy whatever you want. You save a little bit because everybody's got to have a retirement and pension, right? Um, And then if you have anything left over after you've gotten everything you want and you've saved all the money you need to, you give some of that table scraps out. You go ahead and just throw that around. um, Give it to the church. Give it to the nonprofits. Give it to something else. It's not a big deal. But the truth is if you want to be mastering your money, you want to master your money, then you have to flip that. You have to invert it. You have to give first, you have to save second, and you live on the rest. You give, you save, you live. And I don't want my kids to be mastered by money. So we talk to the, and mastered by money and mastered by things. So we talk to the kids often about it, and particularly Grayson and Elijah as they're getting older. We'll do toy rotations where, hey, when you start getting a big influx of toys, you know, around your birthday or Christmas, guess what? We're going to go into your toy area, and you're just going to give those toys away. You're going to give them away to Goodwill. You're going to give them away to kids that have uh, that don't have any toys. You're just going to take, and you are going to give away. And then I want you, as Grayson's gotten older, I want to start talking to him about, hey, you got to start separating and giving 10% away. And it's not because that's the tithe or anything else. I just wanted him to understand money is not going to master me. The key to financial independence, the key to financial independence is ensuring that you are not mastered by your money. That's how you live it. That's how you live it. And for the rest of our lives, money will compete for first place. It just will, especially the minute you get your first paycheck as a kid. You guys all remember, and we still remember it today. You still have that same feeling sometimes when you get a bonus, right? 
Like you get excited about it and you get pumped. Start thinking of all the things you can buy and all the things that you can do. And money is going to compete for first place in your life. And trust me, you don't want money to win. I don't want money to win for first place. And if you're a Jesus follower, we can't afford to allow it to live. I don't want to be slaves to consumer debt, right? I don't want to just go buy a big car and buy a big car and buy a big car. And do I don't want to do that. I don't want them to be owned by their stuff. I don't want Grace and Elijah and the kids. I don't want them to be owned by their stuff. I want them to have things, own their things, but not be owned by it. This is how you do it. You give first, you say second, you live last. And then he continues, Jesus isn't done. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one, love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Then in the same sermon, just a little bit further down, he says, so do not worry. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The only thing, the only thing that could keep in this time, and this was a big deal, the only thing that could keep in this time was grain and wine because it was so difficult. If you went out and you were a fisherman, you had to take that food to the market that morning, sell it, or eat it that evening, that afternoon or evening because it just wouldn't keep. So you had to get rid of it. But grain they could keep and wine they could keep. And clothes were very important and expensive. So when Jesus says, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Like that's what we were, that's what everybody was concerned about in these days. Now we don't often think about that, but still the provision is a thing we always worry ourselves about, right? And Jesus says, "Don't worry about those things. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Uh, if you worry, 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 then the futures you're going to lead in your life and behave in your life with just a closed hand. You're going to close everything in. Why?" because you're so worried about what's going to happen next. Jesus says the pagans run after these things. And the pagan is anybody who believed in multiple gods. In fact, they believed that the gods just toyed with people. The gods manipulated people. They didn't care about people whatsoever. They were constantly trying to get the gods. People were trying, constantly trying to get the gods to do what they wanted them to do. But in our version, in our Bible, it's actually different. It's the opposite. God's trying to get us to do what God wants us to do. He's trying to show us like, hey, you don't have to behave that way. Money doesn't have to own you. Resources don't have to own you. Why? Because I'm going to take care of you. You don't have to worry about those things. You don't have to worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear because I've already got those things figured out. He continues, he says, for the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly father, and this is the words of Jesus, your heavenly father knows that you need them. You know, he knows that you need them. It's like Jesus is saying, look, this is how you know God's involved. He knows you need these things. He knows you need this stuff. He knows you need groceries. He knows you need a car to get around in America. He knows all these things. He's not surprised that you need a house. He's not surprised that you need food. He's not surprised that you need clothes, okay? He's not surprised at that at all. He knows you need them. It's how he knows. He pays attention. It's how we are. We make sure that, he, that he's involved. What Jesus says next, what Jesus says next is like the, it's like the key. It's the thing. 
It's the thing that's going to help us get to where we want to get. It's the thing that's going to ensure that, you know, we flip the the way people are living and that we're not being mastered by our money, but instead we are mastering our money. Jesus says next, and this is all connected right in the same section. He says, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first my father's kingdom, Jesus says. Seek first his kingdom. Well, what's his kingdom all about? Well, it's two things, two things. Uh, Love God, love people. We talk about it all the time around here. When they boiled, they asked Jesus, like, Jesus, what's the kingdom of God all about? He said, okay, pay attention. This is what the kingdom of God's all about. You're going to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You're going to do that. And then you're going to love people. You're going to love your neighbor as yourself. You're going to love God, and you're going to love people. And when you do that, just relax. God's got the rest. He's the God of the outcome. He's the God of, that provides. He's not shocked by what you need, and he's not shocked by the financial situation that you're in. And he says, when you begin to put others first in your life, your finances, it, in your finances, that's a kingdom first mentality. When you begin to put others before you, it's a kingdom first mentality. And the way that you make sure that you have money and that money doesn't have you is you seek first the kingdom of God. We have to take it and invert the way things are living. So instead of living first, saving second, and giving last, we as Christians, particularly as Jesus followers, you have to do this. Okay, Flip it. Flip it. Give first. Save second. Live third. Now, I know that coming from a pastor that's incredibly, you know, just everybody's like, of course the pastor says that. Okay, look, it's not about your money. It's not about your money. So if you hear this and you're not currently given to our church or you're not connected to our church or you're not sure what you're doing, um, I want you to just try to live this way. You don't have, don't pick our church. Okay, don't don't do it for our church if you don't want to, um, and you want to do it somewhere else or another nonprofit like a, a valuable nonprofit. If you go, no, 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 pastor, I am so uncomfortable with the way churches do things today. Okay, fine. I'm so convinced in this principle and I so believe the words of Jesus. If that's where you stand, I, I challenge you to try to do it with another organization. Don't do it with our church. Fine. Don't give here. Give, a, give to a local church in your area. If you go, I don't trust any of the churches. Fine. Flip your life and live with that in mind, except pick a nonprofit that you believe in that you know changes the community that you're in. They're out there. You just have to look. And you will ensure that money doesn't own you. Greed gets pressed back into the background because you're giving first, living second, saving third. And I'm not going to give you percentages. You could do whatever you want percentages. Just pick something because it's a step in the direction of greed. You are not going to control my life. Greed, you are not going to have a handle on me. Greed, you are not going to press on me. Greed, this is not going to happen. We're not going to do this. So I encourage you to do that. But if you're a Jesus follower, I would encourage you to find and give it to a local church that you are comfortable with and that you know is making a difference in the community because we're able to do these types of things in our community. We're able to do things like never the same camp. We're able to do things like serve days. We're able to do things like food drives. We're able to do things like backpack drives because so many of you guys give and so many people want to be part of what we're doing. So I encourage you, just flip the script, see what happens. Because listen, do you have any idea what would be possible if Christians actually believed this? 
Do you, do you have any idea what would be possible if Christians actually believed this? So there, it would be, let me give you an idea. It would cost about $330 billion to solve world hunger. That's about how much it would take to invest in the proper micro farms and get people, get those up and running and get the food distributed to the prop different places around the world. So it's to- totally, that's about how much they think it would take to get everything in the infrastructure up and running to solve world hunger. There are about 167 million Christians in the U.S., okay, professing, professing Christians. If each were to give 10%, We'll just say 10% because that's an easy one. It's something you're familiar with, something we're all familiar with. We'll say just the tithe, which is the 10%, if that's the way you give. Okay, That would be $738 billion. It would only cost 330 to solve world hunger. If just the church in America, if just the church in America were to do that, were to give 10%, of 10%. The church in America has the resources to solve world hunger. And that includes the pastors, that includes the boards, that includes everybody. That's not one of those things it's just throwing the stick and a fly on the wall. It's uh it's different. However, the problem is for many of us and for many of those people that we just talked about, money has us. We don't have money. We're not controlling the money. Now, let me ask you this. Wouldn't it be amazing to see a church do that? Wouldn't it be amazing to see the church, the group of Jesus followers, be able to do something like that? I mean, wouldn't it be amazing just to see um, if our church was able to, to do something just absolutely groundbreaking and amazing inside of our community? I mean, wouldn't that just be the coolest thing in the world wouldn't it be amazing to see the to, for the church to actually be a solution to problems instead of just spending all the money on production and everything else? I mean, wouldn't that be neat? Well, that is that only happens if Christians decide to ensure greed doesn't get a hold on our life. If we were to decide to grab and flip and invert the way we live, that we give first, we live or we give first, we save second, and we live on the rest. That is how we're going to see the world truly changed. And how you would ensure, and I would ensure, financial guardrails to make sure that greed does not take over our life. So, let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the guidance that Jesus gives us here. It's really hard because the idea is serving two masters. It's kind of foreign to us. It's hard for us to really wrap our heads around sometimes. But God, we know that money and finances are something that we all need. We know that you see that. So God, I pray that you would just help us flip that way we do things. To go from a place of of, of of living on everything instead of flipping it to a place where we are giving first. Uh, So, Lord, we love you. We give you all the praise. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.